Um, today we're finishing up kind of a mini-series in our expanded series of the Red Letter. Um, and it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the seven woes to avoid, and we're in part four of that. Um, our text is found in Matthew 23, and we're going to start in verse 29. So if you have your Bibles, either paper copy or a digital copy, go ahead and turn there. Um, but what we looked at in, in the passage of Matthew 23 is seven woes that Jesus issued to the religious leaders. And so we've covered six of them up to this point. And I want to recap briefly kind of where we've been, because again, we've been, I've been gone for two weeks, and so I just want to refresh, not that any of you scholars have forgotten, but just kind of want to bring all the, the visitors up to speed as to where we're at, um, and, and kind of recap where we've been with these six other woes that Jesus has doled out. Um, and the important thing about this whole, this whole conversation here is commentators say that this is Jesus' last like public address to these religious leaders prior to his death on the cross. And so it's like, I mean, think about it. this. These are his last words to many of these guys um, in a public setting. And so the first woe is woe number one. Um, they were guilty of shutting people away from access to the truth about the kingdom of God. As religious leaders, you know, they were convicted or they were challenged that they neither pursue truth for themselves, but what was worse was they hindered others from pursuing truth as well. And so Jesus called them hypocrites for doing this. And rule number two is that they neglected their duties in, in leading new converts. As Jesus said, he, he, Jesus called them out big time on this. He said, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. It's like, ouch, that's a harsh critique, right? Strong words, but, but again, it's one of these things. That's what they were doing. They were neglecting these converts and, and, and just letting them flounder and, and fall away. And for this, Jesus, again, called them hypocrites. In rule number three, they had lost sight of what was important, what was holy, what was how to prioritize things. Um, you know, by, by swearing an oath, they placed more importance on and reverence on a thing as opposed to who they were uh, giving the oath to or making the offering to. Um, they, would, they would say, hey, the gold in the temple is more important than the temple where God dwells. And it's like, that makes no sense. Or, hey, what's on the altar being roasted is more important than the altar that made that offering sacred in the first place. They had, they'd gotten a little confused and backwards in their thinking on this. And, and so, you know, Jesus is like, you guys are blind guides. You've, you've mixed this whole thing up. You need to be focused on the Lord and not on these little things. God bless you. Um, and so he called them blind guides for that. Woe number four, you know, he, their commitment to tithing on, the, on these little details and, and, and making sure that, hey, I'm squared away in this one little area because it's easy, yet they were neglecting the weightier spiritual matters. And, and so Jesus called them out for that. He's like, you guys are tithing on herbs and you're probably weighing it out. You're probably measuring it, making sure there's no more, there's no less. But at the same time, you're neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness, which you should not be neglecting. And so Jesus called them hypocrites and blind guides for this. So far, this conversation is going well for these guys, right? And so we look at rule number five, and they were guilty of basically putting on a show. He was calling them hypocrites for that. They were putting on a show. See, they look good outside, and he compared them to a cup that's nice and polished and shiny on the outside, but it's filthy on the inside. You know, <laughs> anybody that drinks coffee can relate to this. It's like I, my brother, boy, I tell you what, he had a coffee mug. I don't know if he washed the inside of it for close to a year. And he just drank his coffee black. And it was like, it looked good on the outside, 
But when you look down, it was gray and dark and cruddy. It's like, you want something? No, I'm good. I'll pass. He and his wife had an issue when she accidentally washed his cup, unbeknownst to her. He had to restart all over. But it was just that whole thing of, you know, here the cup looked good sitting on a shelf, but man, it was just like, I'm not drinking out of that thing. Heck no. And so he called them hypocrites because it's like, here they look shiny outside, but inside they were full of greed and self-indulgence and just all kinds of sin. And the sixth woe is similar to number five, and it speaks to the condition of their heart and their souls. And in woe number six, Jesus referred to their hypocrisy here and that they were like beautiful whitewashed tombs, these monuments, right? Beautifully ornamented containers, and all it contained was dead men's bones. And he said, you guys are a bunch of walking dead men. Outside you look great. Inside they were wretched. They were defiled. And Jesus even said you were full of all uncleanness. And, and, and so their hearts were corrupted. Their spirits were corrupted. And, and for this, Jesus identified them as hypocrites and, and even full of lawlessness. And so and that brings us up to speed. And so here we're going to look at the seventh woe. But before we do it, like I said, as I've mentioned in past messages, it's easy to look at this and go, boy, those guys shot the boot. They missed the mark. Wow, they, they're terrible guys. And not look internally at ourselves and see, have I identified in any of these? Am I a hypocrite? Am I, am I a blind guide to someone? Am I doing something wrong? And so as we look at the passage today and we finish this out, I want to be, I want to be sure that we look at ourselves We look at our own hearts and give ourselves an honest evaluation. Can I do better? Are there things that I need to change for God's glory? Right? How are we doing, Christian? Would Jesus call us a hypocrite if he showed up today? Would he call us whitewashed tombs? Would he call us filthy cups? Would he accuse us of withholding the truths of the kingdom of God and and saying you're not even pursuing it yourself? No wonder you're blocking others from it. You know, let that one sink in. It's like, if other people found out what you've been neglecting, and they're like, why aren't you doing this? Now you look like an idiot in front of them, so no wonder people are saying, hey, I'm going to block you from pursuing the truth, because I'm not even living it, right? And would Jesus say that about us? Are we actively pursuing the kingdom of God for ourselves? Are we sharing our witness? And if so, what kind of witness are we sharing? Are we being good ambassadors of Christ? Are we, are we putting our best forward at all times because we want to bring God glory and not seek selfless ambition? So the question is, is how do we need to change? Are we good to go? And the answer is yes, we all need to change. We're never going to get there, amen? But today can be a start of something new for us, amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's look at Matthew 23. We're going to look at our, our final reading in, in Matthew here. And again, we're starting at verse 29. And it says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Hypocrites, for you build the tombs of prophets and celebrate the monuments of righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding, of, of, uh, in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you were sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some who you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, and so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed of the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of uh, Barakai, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as, hen, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we look at this passage. We look at what your son is saying to these, these men of God, these religious leaders. And again, it's easy for us to just watch from, from an outward perspective and say, yeah, those guys really messed up. But, but in our hearts, in, in reality, we, we do do these things ourselves from time to time. And so, Father, I just pray that you would begin to work in us and convict us to where we would be desiring to change and that we would not have the, the same words spoken over us as these men received, Father. We want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so, Father, help us and motivate us to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, as we look at your words, as we look at, at, at your correction, we look at your, your teachings, Father, help us to, to take these warnings to heart. Father, that we would be good witnesses, that we would be good ambassadors of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just thank you for the truth that's found in your word. We thank you for all it provides us. God, we just ask you uh, to, to speak to us today. Stir our hearts this morning, Lord. Do not let us leave the same way that we came into this place. Father, have, help us have a new conviction, a new desire, a stronger desire to love you and glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we look at verse 29 again. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of prophets and decorate monuments of the righteous. Now on the surface, you look at that and say, why is that such a big deal? Right? Why, why is that bad? And, and, you know, isn't it good to, to build monuments for people that do great things, right? And it's like, where's, where's the offense here? Where's the hypocrisy? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 30, and he, it says this, saying, you know, speaking of these guys that um, have, have uh, I'm sorry, uh, made these monuments that they're claiming that if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And so the hypocrisy is this, is that they're separating themselves from the actions of their fathers when all throughout the, I mean, shoot, the Gospels, they're always like, hey, we're, these are our fathers, these are our answers. They stand on the good stuff, but they kind of shy away from receiving the bad stuff. And, and so here they're saying, we would never have done what our fathers did. And we know from reading scripture that, that they have been plotting on how to arrest Jesus, how to murder Jesus. They're, they're, they're actively in this moment trying to say, how can we catch this guy and take him before Herod, take him before Pilate, kill him and get rid of him? So it's like, there's the hypocrisy. Is they're like, we would never do that. And with having seen everything Jesus has done, they're plotting the same things that their fathers did to the men of God before them. The pulpit commentary said this, they profess to venerate, which is to regard with great respect the dead, but would not receive the living. They reverenced Abraham and Moses, but were about to murder the Christ to whom the patriarchs and the prophets bore witness. Their hypocrisy was this is that they were building these monuments to these great men of God, these messengers of God, and, and they were acting like they were all high and mighty and holy in doing it. And, and, and this, the thing is, is that they were about to slay the mightiest man of God himself, Jesus Christ. 
Here they were, they were sitting there making these monuments saying, we'd never do that to a man of God. If we were there, we would have said, stop. And yet they're plotting to kill the son of God himself and then his followers after that. That's the hypocrisy. See, they would have been less hypocritical had they just dug and left unmarked graves. And so Jesus calls him out as a result of it in verse 31. He says, thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. He's like, oh, you guys are just like your fathers. You just don't know it yet. These, Jesus points out that not only were they claiming their connection to their fathers of old, but that they themselves were going to be following in their father's footsteps. They claimed a bloodline, and Jesus is like, there's also the spiritual connection. It's like, you guys can't absolve yourself from what you're about to do. And that was the hypocrisy. The pulpit commentary says, they were true sons of their fathers, inheriting their murderous instincts, following in their steps. Like father, like son, they inherited and put into practice the same false principles which led their ancestors astray. And Jesus points that out. He points that out, that they're in fact convicting themselves by claiming to be, you know, of their ancestry in that bloodline. And, and these are our fathers and all these different discussions that Jesus has had building up to this moment, that they are now convicting themselves even by the actions they've already done and the words that they've spoken, yet they were too blind to see it. In verse 32, Jesus says, hey, fill up then. It is what it is. Fill up then the full measure of your fathers. It's like you guys are about to make a, make a mistake here, but go ahead and do what your fathers uh, have done before you. Jesus, is, is, and it's crazy. I mean, here he's standing before the very men that are going to be screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him in about two, three days here. And he's holding these people to task. He's calling these men out. Jesus prophesies here that they are destined to repeat the sins of their fathers. And he's like, fill up, take on the full measure, own it, walk in their shoes because you've already decided you're going to do it. Don't lie about it. Don't be hypocritical about it. Own it. And see, Jesus wasn't the only one that pointed out their wickedness, right? Way back in Matthew 3 at the baptism of John. In Matthew 3, 7, it said, But when he saw, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? That was John's whole message, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? He paved the way for Jesus. And so here we see Jesus echoing the phrase that was used by John the Baptist to these religious leaders. It was used at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Right? And now it's used at the end of his ministry, right to these guys, that, I mean, the same group of guys, you brood of vipers. John issued a warning to these men. He's like, you need to change your ways. And here's how. Repent. Get baptized. You know, and he goes on this whole tirade of things that they need to do. And here's the thing. is Jesus delivers a verdict that they didn't change. It's like, you guys didn't change. In verse 33, Jesus says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? I mean, that's a condemnation. How are you guys going to escape this? Couldn't imagine that. These men were condemned. Their hearts were hardened. Their souls were seared, and they were destined to hell. 
And pronouncing this verdict, Jesus continues to tell them why. He's like, you guys, you guys are so hypocritical, and you're destined to hell, and here's why. In verse 34, he says, Therefore I send to you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute them from town to town. See, Jesus pointed out that, that their fathers had killed the prophets of old. And he's making the connection that, that he's going to send out his own wise men, his own scribes, his own prophets. And they're going to be men filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going to be men of God. They're going to be mighty messengers. And, and these guys are going to do the same things to them. We see this come to pass in Scripture. And that's how we know that Jesus was spot on. Well, because he's Jesus, obviously. But in Acts chapter 7, we see the first martyr, which is Stephen. First martyr of the faith. So here this prophetic word is taking place. I mean, gosh, you take into Pentecost and all this other time, it's like, man, it was not long before this came to pass. And in Acts 7, verse 50, uh, 59 and 60, and it says, As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know who was standing by approving of the execution? A Pharisee named Saul. These guys fulfilled what Jesus said was going to happen. And regarding the fact that Jesus was going to send out wise men and scribes and, and men that could go toe-to-toe with these religious leaders themselves, we see this and played out in Acts 4. Peter and John, they get arrested. They healed a guy, and they, they get arrested for preaching Jesus in the square. It's like, think about that. They healed a guy, and they got arrested for preaching Jesus. Can any of us imagine what it's like to be arrested for preaching Jesus? Better yet, would any of us be convicted for preaching Jesus? Right? In Acts 4.13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness, these are the religious leaders, these are these Pharisees and scribes, they're in front of the council, John and Peter, and it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. And that they were astonished. And I love the second part of this. The religious leaders recognized that these uneducated common men that had a life-changing experience with the Son of God and were filled with the Holy Spirit and were not willing to back down regardless of the cost. It says that they recognized they had been with Jesus. I want to be held accountable for, for, for being with Jesus. I would love for the world to convict me. Dude, that guy has been around Jesus. Amen? I can't be the only one. It's like, man, how many of us preach Jesus enough in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities, right? And and wherever we're going, the grocery store, we should be professing Christ wherever we go. Not just acting it out, but use our mouth. Get in trouble. (laughs) And we laugh because, like, yeah, it's that simple. But we, it's like, man, let's do something that would cause people to say, wow, that person has spent time with Jesus. Look at how they just, they don't care. At work, hey, they're going to the boss's office again. How many people have ever been written up and disciplined at work for preaching Jesus? How many kids have you gone to the detention or gone to the principal's office for preaching Jesus? Right? And these are things that, that we need to think about. It's like, oh my goodness, to be found guilty of the world of being a Christian. It's like, that is, that is a badge of honor. 
Amen. Amen. Verse 35, Jesus goes on. He says, so that you may come, uh, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakai, uh, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. See, the responsibility for shedding innocent blood was prophesied by Jesus to fall squarely on these hypocrites, these blind guides, these broods of vipers. These guys were just flat out busted. And he's like, you guys, ah, Jesus is telling them that, that just as blatant and just as unjustified as Abel's blood was on the ground, and just as unjustified and blatant as the blood of Zechariah was on the floor, so their actions are going to be remembered all through history as the men that killed the Son of God and his followers. Most, you know, most importantly, yeah, it's known through history, most importantly known to God Almighty. Jesus is holding these guys to task that they would be known just like their fathers for not only killing the prophets and the wise men and the scribes that Jesus sent, but for killing the Messiah himself. That's where Paul and these guys got in trouble in Acts. Go read Acts and read at Pentecost where they came out and laid, they laid waste to all the religious leaders. And they're like, you crucified the Messiah. Didn't even dance around that issue. They're like, you murderers. Where are we at? Look at the, I mean, and, and this is, a, this is a, a conviction on the whole church in America. Come on. Look at what is going on in our country and in our schools and all over the place. The laws that are passed, it's like, come on, we're sitting here quiet. And it's like, we need to rise up, church, and say, no. Murdering a child is not okay. No, that relationship is not okay, right? All, hey, your greed, your guilt, your, 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 your ah, the gossip, slander, fornication, premarital sex, all these things, sensuality are wrong. Why aren't we doing that? Our kids are going to schools, public schools are being indoctrinated. And it's like, man, we need to man up and woman up and say, not my kid anymore. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen? We can't sit idly by and send our kids off to get brainwashed. Come on. That's, oh, the judgment on that. I need a drink. Sorry. (laughs) Woo! I got a little excited there. It's just, where are we at, church? We look at the foolishness of the world, and we're like, wow, that's foolishness. How about we go out and say, stop being foolish? How about we get involved in the foolishness and say, we're going to stop this, and we're going to do this God's way? Because you guys are running this place amok. You are destroying things. This is crazy talk. Up is down, left is right, blue is red. Stop it. Let's use common sense that God gave us and let's go and change the city and the world. But the thing is, is we can't do it if we're not willing to even speak out about it. We're afraid of the repercussions. It's like, good night. Ugh. Jesus says in verse 36, he says, truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He's like, when Jesus says truly, it's going to happen. Amen. He's like, it's all going to happen in this generation, and it did. Judgment is coming. Judgment was coming. These things were going to come to pass. And here's the thing, and this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. 
In verse 37, we see his heartfelt plea that that is not what he wanted at all. It's like, you guys are going to kill all these people. You're going to sin against God. And in verse 37, we read, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stone those who were sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus' heart is to receive us, to protect us, to shelter us, to house us, to, to love us. His long was for Israel to come back under his protection, to come back under his covering, and, and yet they rejected him. They said, no. How often do we reject Jesus? There are times, I know we all can attest to it, how many times have we been in a moment where it's like, I don't think I'm going to do that, God, and we go our own way. Hey, in that moment, you're rejecting Jesus. I believe it with my whole heart because I've experienced it. I get an answer for that. And it's like, oh, my Lord, please forgive me. And I know he does. But there's, there's just that hurt that I've offended God in that moment that makes it where it's like, I'm not going to do that again. And even, even something as subtle as, hey, I'll pray about that. I'll pray for you later. How many times do we forget to pray? Amen, Howard, right? We talked about that just the other day. It's like, man, let's Johnny on the spot it. Instead of saying, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you later. It's like, hold on, let me take five minutes out of my, my schedule and let me just get with you and God and let's pray and knock this thing out. And guess what? I'll commit to praying about it later too. Let's take care of business when it needs to be taken care of. Amen? Amen. Let's not wait. How often do we reject God? How often do we refuse to come under his covering? And here's the crazy thing. It's like, man, all, that's all he wants from us is to come under his covering, come back to him, and he is faithful and just to forgive. So as soon as we turn from our wicked ways and, and ask for forgiveness and we repent of our sins, what's his, what's his response? To receive a sin, to pick us up, to scoop us up out of our own mess. It's like, isn't, wouldn't that be something that we would naturally want in our own lives? I know I do, because I make plenty of mistakes. And it's like, man, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be a wreck. But are you willing to come to him? How many, how many people in here or even watching have, have, have pushed Jesus away? Said, you can have my life, you can have my heart. Well, you can't have my finances. And you can't have that relationship. And you can't have, no, well, you can have, you, but you got me on Sunday, Lord. Right? It's like, let's, let's stop rejecting him. Let's live in him, abide in him, Amen. Like, and here's the thing, if we reject him, it is that quick that we can be in good standing and be in fellowship with him, amen? Our outcome will be no different than the religious leaders if we continue to reject Christ. Verse 38 says, see, your house is left to you desolate. Jesus is telling them, see, your house is left to you desolate. It's like, if you don't want him, he's not going to push himself on you. He will leave if you want him to leave. And it's just like a roommate. You see it on TV or you might have experienced yourself where you, you see these roommates or, or spouses or friends and they're fighting and they're like, I wish you weren't in my life. And they say, okay. And they move out and take everything. And what's, what's left behind? It's a big old void. There's holes. There's gaps. It's like, man, that, that's kind of what it's like when we say, Jesus, I don't need you in this area. Okay. There's a hole. 
There's a gap. We need him to live in it and work in it and fill it so that we can walk in it. Amen? Jesus wants you so desperately to be in fellowship with him. He wants to, he wants to hover over you like a hen covering her, her chicks, protecting them, keeping, keeping them warm. He longs for fellowship. He longs to protect us. That's an awesome thing. He longs for that for us. We're the ones that say, no, I got it. He longs to deliver us from our sins. He longs to forgive us. He longs to abide in us and and, and work through us. We can't push him away. But here's the thing is if you have, when can you start over? Right now. Right now. Even while I'm speaking, you can say, Lord, you know where I'm at. And Lord, I am coming to you in this moment. And I, I just give it all to you. Repent. Turn to Christ. And he will graciously scoop you up and march on. Verse 39, Jesus says this. I tell you, uh, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's like, you're not going to see me until you realize who I am and how bad you need me or any of that stuff. You're going to be too blind, just like these Pharisees, just like these guys that were putting on a show, these brood of vipers, these, these hypocrites, these blind guides. Hey, you're going to push me away. I'm going to let you push me away. And you won't see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When we have that understanding of who Christ is, we're like, Lord, I need you. He's right there back in our lives. Amen? And that's a wonderful thing. The question is, where are we at, church? As brothers and sisters in Christ, where are we at? Jesus longs for us to come back to him. Why would you reject him and push him away? He longs to, to have fellowship with us. He wants to shelter us. And here's the thing. I want to encourage you to, to pursue Christ this morning. Pursue him and repent and go and say, Lord, I need you fully in my life. And you know my past mistakes. I'm giving them to you and he will take them from you. And you can walk in lockstep with the son of God. Like, let's do this. I want to encourage you. Rest in Jesus. If you are broken down and beat, if you've been carrying shame and guilt and the weight of the world and the condemnation, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your soul. It's like, man, he's, he's, he's pleading. He's like, guys, come. It'll be great. It's like, let's be quick to receive what Jesus offers. Amen? Don't push him away. Don't reject him. And as we close out this service, it's like, I, I, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've been rejecting him this whole time, and you're like, you know what? I, I've, I've heard the warning I don't want to reject him. If you'd raise your hand right now, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you. This whole church wants to pray with you because that is the best decision that you'll ever make. Thank you, sweetie. Man. Anyone else? If you've backslidden, if you've seen yourself as the hypocrite, you've acted like the brood of vipers, if you know that you're a filthy internal cup that needs to be washed inside and out, would you raise your hand? Come on. 
There's a lot of holy people in here. Uh-huh. Busted! All right. Let's be real with God and real with ourselves this morning. Amen? Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we come before you and we give you our hearts. Father, we, we repent of our sins. We tell you, I'm, I'm sorry for the things I've done. Lord, we ask you to, to wash us clean as white as snow. Forgive us our sins so that we can glorify you and, and bring you honor and glory in the things that we do from this moment forward. Father, we just ask you to, to come into our lives and be the Lord of our lives. You're the boss of our lives. You are our Savior that has rescued us from ourselves and from our sins and from the penalty that comes with sin, which is death. And so, Lord, we, we, we just give this to you. We give our, our, our selfish ambition, our pride to you. And we want to do your will. We ask for your will to become our will, Father. That we would live for you and not shy away. That we would be like these apostles, that when we are being persecuted, we would be quick to say, forgive them, Father. And when we're called to stand before the, the councils and the governors, that we would be willing to stand on the word of God as absolute truth. We would never shy away. Father, for, for those that, that, that are backslidden, that have, haven't lived up to, to the commandments that you've given, that have identified where they need to change, where your spirit has, has spoken to their spirit, said, yes, here's the areas you need to work on. Father, I thank you for that. I just pray that, that there would be conviction and boldness. Like Elizabeth spoke earlier, that you're willing to come down into our world and get your hands dirty to help us be right with you. What a beautiful picture. So, Father, we come before you. We lay these things before you. We ask you to forgive us of our sins so we can walk out of here anew and afresh with a new mind and a new heart that we could change from here on out. Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much for the gift of your son that died on the cross for our sins. Lord, help us to, to own this more than we have recently. Help us to be world changers, Father God. Help us to make a difference in our schools and our workplaces and in the communities that we live in because we will be seen as someone who has spent time with Jesus. Lord, we love you and we ask you to bless us as we leave this place. Go before us and keep us safe. And Father, for those that aren't here today, and I echo Pastor Brent's uh, prayer as well, that if they're working, Father, let them know we're lifting them up in this moment. Let them know that they're being prayed for, they're loved and cherished. Help them to work as unto you. And Father, if they're traveling, keep them safe wherever they're going, but, but use them. Put them in situations where they, they have to be vocal. They have to speak your goodness. Father, bring them back to us safely where we get to hear the testimonies of you working in people's lives. And Father, for those that are sick or healing from COVID or surgeries, Lord, we just pray that you would mend them. You knit them together in their mother's womb. You can fix them and heal them outside of it. We fully believe that you still do that today. So, Father, we come before you, and we ask you to heal our loved ones and bring them back to us so that we can hear about how you worked in their life as well. Lord, we give our lives to you. We give our hearts to you this morning. 
In Jesus' mighty name, amen.